glad that you're with us this morning. We want to welcome those that are joining us uh, right now on the Edgewood campus. Uh, we are so grateful for the work that the Lord's doing over there, and uh, we uh, look forward to diving in today to our series, Ephesians. And we're going to be in chapter 3, so if you have a Bible, you can go and turn there. Before we get started, I think there's uh, something helpful to help us understand the text, and I need to throw back to the 90s in order to do it. Uh, back in the 90s, uh, there was a, a thing that, that came out called the Magic Eye, and the Magic Eye uh, was this poster. And uh, the poster was hung in classrooms. Sometimes you'd see them in the hospitals. If you are, are, are fortunate, maybe you had a family member that had it in their house, right? A lot of kids had it in their bedrooms or something like that. And, and the magic eye was this 3D kind of puzzle that if you stared intently long enough, there was something in the background that you could see. Maybe it would be some dolphins or it'd be like this elephant or it'd be this little pony or a little dog or something like that. And here's the deal. As a kid, I loved the 3D magic eye. And the reason why is because I could see it. I could see the mystery back there in the background. And I loved it because my parents couldn't see it. And I remember having a conversation with my mom. She's like, I just can't see it. And I'm like, really? You can't see it? It's right there. It's like three dolphins. And she's like, I really can't see it. I'm like, what? You can't see it? So real quick, just a show of hands on both campuses. How many of you remember the 3D magic eyes? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, here you go. I need some honesty here. How many of you could not see it? Go ahead, raise your hands. Yeah. Hey, okay, Edgewood Campus, go ahead, raise your hands. I know you're cheating out there. Okay, so here's the deal. A lot of people hated the magic eye because you're like, it's a mystery. I just can't see it. It seems like hidden. And it was, unless you had the magic eye, right? And uh, I had it. And I remember loving those things because you could kind of look intently and just stare. And then all of a sudden, that little image would just come out and you could see it. Now, here's the deal. That's what Ephesians chapter 3 is. And then Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. He goes, listen, I want to make known to you the mystery. It seems like this 3D thing that you can't really see and know and understand. But he goes, I want to tell you how blessed I am to know it, to see it, to understand it, to be able to share it with you in a way that you can see and know and understand. And so here's what Paul does. Paul does something unique. And so we're going to study 13 verses. But in the first 10, here's what he does. In the first, first 10, he, he really shows us three things. So the first, really, seven verses, he goes, this is what the Lord showed to me. So he goes, the Lord made known the mystery to me. Then in verse 8 and 9, he gives the implications of that mystery for the church, for people who would know and follow God. And then in verse 10, he says, and when the church understands the mystery that God has given to me, he goes, you are going to proclaim the mystery. And then he tells us that he's, it's going to be done in the heavenly places. Now, when we get to verse 10, I'm going to go ahead and just warn you and caution you. I'm going to get really excited, and then beyond excitement, I'm liable to not cover verses 11 through 13 very efficiently. And so I just want to go ahead and give you the homework assignment that you're probably going to have to cover verse 11 through 13. And the reason why is because there's an implication in the first 10 verses that you and I need to know and understand and apply to our lives, and we need to start at the very instant that we begin to see this truth unveiled. And the reason that this truth is so important is because what you and I do with our lives resounds throughout the cosmos. The entire universe is looking to see the faithfulness in which we live our lives. No pressure, but everything, everyone is waiting to see God's plan unveiled. Once a mystery, now a clear truth that can be seen, known, and practiced as we live our lives. And so let's dive into verse 1 and... Uh, 
Hang on. Here we go. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. So Paul goes, listen, here's, here's the truth. I, I am writing to you for this reason, that God has made the mystery known. Now, in the last chapter in Ephesians 2, he helped us understand what the mystery was, that God had intended to make one man out of two. And the idea is exactly what God was speaking to when he called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans in Mesopotamia in Genesis 12. He goes, listen, I want to make you into a nation. I want to bless you. I want to, I want to make you and your name great. I want to give you a nation, a people. I want to give you a heritage, a lineage. I want to bless all the nations through you. And the idea of that is that one day the proclamation of God's message and His salvation could go forth to all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, all nations, all peoples. But for a time, a season, it seemed that the message of God, this mystery, was veiled. That it wasn't clearly seen, that it was in darkness in a sense. And that it seemed almost as if it was for just the Jews, the people of Israel. And yet God says, no, from the beginning of time, I've had this plan and I wanted it to be seen through all people. That Jews and Gentiles alike, two nations, two groups of people, ultimately could be brought together under one banner. Salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And that my message could spread forever. And Paul says, that's why I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you that you would understand that God has had a plan hidden for ages that he revealed to me. And he says, he did so while I was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, what's interesting is, as he writes that I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he's literally sitting in a Roman jail cell, and he's writing. But what he wants people to realize is, though I'm suffering in Rome, and you might think I'm a prisoner of Rome, because I'm not really a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner and a bondservant of King Jesus. So he goes, you can look at my setting, you can look at my suffering, and you could easily look at my setting, my suffering, and the things I'm dealing with, and you could be confused. That I'm actually suffering for the, at the hands of the Rome, that I'm being ultimately um, punished, and uh, that I'm a prisoner, and that things are really bad for me. But he goes, I delight in being a sacrifice because the mystery is going forth. And so I just real quickly want to encourage you that maybe right now you're in a season of despair, a season of suffering, a season of heartache, a season in which you look at your life, and if you're not careful, you can really get down and out about what's going on. Maybe it's something health-wise, or maybe it's a situation with relationships or people, or maybe it's job, or maybe it's finances, or maybe it's marriage, or uh, maybe it's just the Christian life, maybe it's some struggle with people that you love, maybe it's death, maybe it's disease, maybe it's, I don't know. It's really easy, though, if you look at your sufferings to miss, that in the midst of your sufferings, you still have an opportunity to proclaim God's goodness. And that's what Paul is saying. He goes, listen, though I'm a prisoner at the hands of Rome, he goes, I'm really choosing to be a prisoner of King Jesus. That while I'm bound to Rome, I can use this as an opportunity to make God's message go forth. And so what does he do? He daily gets up, is led by the Spirit, and he pins what God puts on his heart. And he writes various letters to the churches, blessing people, though he's suffering physically and ultimately maybe emotionally in despair and there's challenges there. He goes, I refuse to live in that because of what Christ has done for me. 
So he goes, I'm a slave to Christ. I'm a bondservant of his. I'm a prisoner of the gospel. That's what he says. And then he says, not just for Jesus Christ, but on behalf of you. Verse 13, he's going to come back and he's going to say, and it's for your glory. Meaning, at the end of the day, he goes, I suffer for your glory. What he means by that is I suffer so that God is made known. And if God's made known through my life, then guess what? He can be made through, known through your life. So you and I suffer for our glory. Meaning, we suffer so that in our heartache, in our despair, in our challenges, people would not see the challenge, the suffering, the despair, but they would see us in light of that living for Christ. It's, it's hard to lose a job. But God's grace abounds when you handle it well. It's hard to be attacked, but it's an incredible thing when you pray for your enemy. It's hard to work through a marriage in which you may be yoked to an unbeliever, but it's a good thing when you show the grace of God to that unbelieving spouse in a way that they can see the gospel shining forth. It's hard when somebody is not unified and they use disparaging remarks about you or they gossip or slander about you. Hey, but listen, it's a glorious thing when you live a life so clear for the gospel that it ultimately makes them look like a pagan. That's what he's talking about. He goes, suffer well. It's for your glory that you and I suffer. I'm a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he says, for the reason that I'm assuming that you've heard about the stewardship of God's grace. And the idea of stewardship there is the, the word in the Greek called uh, oikonomia, which literally means to be an overseer. So think about a guy who is overseeing property, almost like a ranch hand or a manager. But they have full right to be able to, to use the, the, the manager's uh, wealth, property, whatever, for the the, the, the manager's own good. So they're a steward, they're an overseer of these things. Paul says, listen, I suffer as God's steward, a manager of what he's entrusted in my care so that you might see who God is. Because that's why I do what I do. And the grace that's given to me. So how the mystery, verse 3, would be made known to me by revelations I've written briefly. And the mystery is literally, think, treasure, hidden. And the word there is, is the idea of uh, mysterion, which literally means um, that it's once hidden. Now, you, you can have another Greek word that means hidden for the ages, ultimately dug in, hidden, covered, will never be unveiled. So think about uh, an old man and his age saying, I'm going to cover all of my wealth so that no one ever finds it. Uh, he's just like, I don't like my kids. I don't like my grandkids. Here's all my wealth. And he buries it. There's no map. The bottom line is he's like, I don't want anybody to have it. That's one form of a mystery. But the form of a mystery in which Paul is talking about, mysterion, which literally means it's hidden, it's veiled, but can be uncovered. So think treasure with a map. So God goes, listen, for the ages... I have had something that was veiled, but my intention is to uncover it, to give you the truth, to help you see clearly what has been hidden for the ages. He goes, so I want to use Paul, a prisoner, for your glory so that you may see the grace of God given to you, once hidden, now being plainly uncovered so that you and I can see the truth. 
That's what he's doing. He goes, that's why I'm here. Once hidden, now being unveiled so you and I can see it. Verse 4. So when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. A couple of interesting things here. He goes, so when you hear me talk about the mystery, once veiled and once covered, now being uncovered, he goes, what you need to know are two things. One... The prophets of old, the people in the past, it was hidden to them. They didn't understand the mystery. The treasure wasn't uncovered. But now it's being uncovered for you, and it's done so by the Spirit. So you and I don't magically go, oh, wow, I'm going to uncover it. No, the Spirit leads us to see what's being uncovered. But this truth has been covered for ages. So you go, okay, help me understand what you're even talking about. What I'm trying to help you understand is that you're going to get to heaven one day, and you're going to go, oh, I can't wait to see one of these Old Testament saints. And you think, oh, I can't wait to see um, some of those that were so faithful in the past. And you're going to think, hey, what, what's it like to, to be a, a Daniel? Or what's it like to you know, suffer under the lion's den? Or you may think, hey, David, man, tell me a little bit about slaying Goliath, man. What, what was that like to meet the Philistine in the valley? Man, what was it like to, to, to you know, uh, hit him with a rock and then cut his head off? Like, what was that like? And David's going to go, hold on, wait a second. I, I can tell you a little bit about that, but it wasn't that amazing. It was a little bit scary, a little bit daunting. God was with me. Something happened. It was pretty crazy. One day I just, I, I'm like, I do it, and I, feel, I, I find myself holding up his head. I, it was like all a blur to me. And then he's going to look at you, and he's going to say, but hey, will you help me understand something that's far more enticing? Hey, what's it like to have salvation in Jesus Christ and to be filled with his Spirit? Yeah, help me understand what it's like to be able to see the truth of God plainly. What's it like to be able to live and live in the Spirit and its power? What's it like to overcome fear? What's it like to be able to see what the Lord has for you? To, to, to be able to come before God in prayer and have Him uh, ultimately be able to hear your prayer. The Spirit's praying on your behalf. That, what's that like? Help me understand. And, and we're going to be dumbfounded in the moment going, you know, I don't, I don't know. And see, here's what you and I need to realize that the prophets of old, those Old Testament greats did not understand what it looked like for you and I to understand the grace of God, salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation to His plan, the power to live in His Spirit, the wisdom to know what's right or wrong, ultimately to know how we deal with the things that are going on in the present day sufferings, to how we bring glory to God, even in the midst of our challenges, all of it being right here, pertaining to life, to, to almost every decision and dilemma that we have, not almost all, all decisions and dilemmas here. And the Old Testament saints going to go, hey, tell me what it's like to live in that. That's what Paul is trying to help us see. All of it, once hidden, now being uncovered. And then look at this. And this mystery, the thing that's unveiled, uncovered, the keys to the kingdom, salvation, forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, all of those things, look what they do. Verse 6, the mystery is that the Gentiles, you and I, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, you and I become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Think about that for just a second. Okay, so the mystery hidden for Old Testament greats 
now revealed upon Jesus' perfect life, his death on the cross, though he was innocent, he was accused of doing wrong, dies in our place, offers salvation for those who would believe in him, fills us with his spirit, encourages us to live a life holy and pleasing to the Lord, no longer abiding in the desires of our flesh. Now we are heirs of the promise. In order to be an heir means you've got to be part of the family. So you've been adopted in. You were once alienated, estranged, and God says, no, I'm going to make you a son or a daughter. You are mine. You're an heir. You're a member of his body. What? I'm a member of his body. Yeah, you get to be a part of the church. God's plan throughout the ages to reconcile other people in darkness to himself. And he goes, you get to be a part of that. And you may go, well, I'm just, I'm just a toe. I mean, nobody really ever sees me or... He goes, I don't care. You're part of the body. You have something significant to offer. Well, I'm just a finger. Okay, great. You're part of the body. Well, I'm just an elbow. Okay, great. Well, I'm just a kneecap. It doesn't matter what you are. You are now a part of the body. You're an heir. You're a part of the body. You're a partaker of God. A partaker. What does that mean? It means that you get to come to the table of the Lord. You get to taste and see what he's, that he's good. You get to enjoy the, the beauties of his excellency. That You get to search all the unsearchable riches of God through his word. You get to be a part of that. He goes, so think about it like this. Think about it. As a kid, you used to love the idea of movies with treasure maps. You used to love the idea of exploring I remember, even though I wouldn't show it to my kids because it's not particularly wholesome, but my favorite movie, The Goonies. I mean, it's like in this attic, and I'm right there with them, and they uncover this treasure map, and they go on this exploration. And it's this incredible picture. Why? Because there's a map, and if the map is right, then there is ultimately a prize. And I could just remember the excitement of that entire movie. Even today, I could jump right into the movie right now and feel that same excitement go back with all the nostalgic feelings. And the reason why is because there's a treasure to be found. And Paul goes, listen, I'm a prisoner at the hands of the Romans, but really a prisoner at the hand of Jesus. I have a mystery that's been hidden for ages that God wants me to help unveil to you. It is my greatest goal on earth that you as a Gentile may see the excellencies of God and that you might partake of them that you might see them, live in them, that you might learn them, that you would be a part of his body, that you would understand the implications of those things, and you would live that out as an heir to the throne. That's what he's saying. And then he says this, verse 7, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the work of his power. He goes, I do that only because God allowed me to do it. And then look at verse 9, or verse 8, I'm sorry. To me, though, I am the very least of the saints that was given to preach, uh, was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so what Paul says, he goes, and even though I am the bondservant, or I'm the slave of Jesus, the prisoner of him, even though I am his um, bondservant, ultimately I'm the overseer, the steward of this, he goes, I just want to remind you who I am. He goes, even though I get to preach the good news with glad tidings and what that means, I get to bring great joy. He goes, can I just remind you who I am? He goes, I am a guy that is the worst, the chief of all sinners. It's the idea that he proclaims to, to the Romans, Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He goes, listen, I, I have nothing good in me apart from Christ. If you continue that chapter, he goes, I know the things I ought to do and I don't do them. The very things I ought not to do, I find myself doing. He goes, there's this, this war being waged in me. And Paul goes, listen, I want you to know that even though God has chosen me, it is by his grace that I do anything for his glory. 
Because at the end of the day, I'm a messed up guy. and Without the Spirit of God, I'm confused. And that's the church. I don't know if y'all realize that. That's something we've got to embrace more often, that God, I can't do anything for you today in my own flesh. And listen, there are some of us in this room, and I just, just a quick time out as we start thinking about this. Understanding the mystery means that you need to know that the mystery is plain. And so many of us, we approach the word like, man, I, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what it looks like to understand it. And I hear that often, but can I just help you understand a couple of quick things? One, God did not give us this word so that it's hidden. He did not give you the roadmap so that the roadmap would be confusing or a mystery. But I think oftentimes we, we as the church, and I'll own it, um, we probably haven't done a great job of discipling and helping people understand the text, what that looks like. Can I just help you understand a couple quick, quick things? The text is not so that you can check off one of the things on your to-do list tomorrow morning. It's not what your Bible's for. Your Bible is not so that you feel better about yourself because you read a chapter. The Bible is not there to give you a warm feeling about where you are. It's not there. The Bible is not there so that you can post it onto Instagram or ultimately your Facebook page highlighted so that everybody's impressed. It's not there so that you have one verse uh, that ultimately you look at and you go, hey, that one verse was just for me today. And it's not to give you a warm feeling or something that ultimately makes you go through your day. Here's what the Bible is. The Bible is to show you who God is and how to live a life that pertains to godliness. And he goes, I can help you. But we oftentimes don't approach the scripture the way we should. And so oftentimes we've been taught, one, you ought to read the Bible. And if you read the Bible well, then there's something in there for you. And there are days that I'll read a passage and there's nothing in it for me in the sense that I'm like, I don't know how, I'm really struggling right now how to apply First Kings to my life. And that's where I'm at. I am really struggling how to figure out Solomon's wisdom as it relates to me and the building of the temple and all the calculations, the specifications. I read that, and, and here's what I know. I know that as I read that text, God, I don't understand why you gave me all this outside of you are a God of details. You are a God who cares about all of these things, the intricacies. And I begin to lean into just the character of God as opposed to the ooey-gooey feeling that it might give me. And so approach your Bible in that way. Maybe you're here like, I don't have a clue. Find me after the service. I would love to give you some tools and resources. Matter of fact, here's one other thing that we're going to do. It's new, and we're going to add it starting tomorrow morning. Instead of us sending out a Stone Point News on Fridays, one of the things that I just said, hey, what if we started sending out on Mondays, and what if I start including my sermon notes and a handful of questions for us to all process? You get, you get that already, so why not do that? Tomorrow morning, if you notice you didn't get it on Friday, you're going to get it to your inbox tomorrow morning, and it'll have some questions and some sermon notes along with all the other things that are happening here. Now, maybe you're here and like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't get that. Well, here's the deal. If you go to stonepointchurch.com forward slash stonepointnews right now, it'll take you 10 seconds. You can put your name and email address, and you'll get it tomorrow morning. Okay? And what that's going to do is help us begin to process through the Word together a little bit based off of what you've heard. Okay, now that's the timeout's over. We're jumping back in. Okay, y'all ready? Verse 9. The reason he does this is to help us understand the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9. And to bring to light everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. 
And so he goes, God gave me this plan. I'm giving it to the church. And here's what he does. The church should live for God, love for God, search out who God is, and then we should be bringing to light for everyone the plan that was once hidden for the ages in Jesus Christ. We should make known to everyone. That's what he's saying. So here's, here's the deal. Lean in with me because I might have lost you for a second. Paul says, I am a prisoner. I got the message from God to give the message to you. If you are a kingdom of priests, you are the people of God. You're an heir, a member, or a partaker. He says you are to take what God has uncovered, the mystery of his salvation, forgiveness, redemption, and reconciliation to God through his son Jesus. And he says, and you're to make sure people know that. And the way you live your life really does matter to God. But listen, he goes on and he says a little bit further in verse 10. Let's read it together. Lean in. So that through the church, the church is the partakers, the members, the heirs. It's the ecclesia is what Paul uses the word. It's the people of God. Not a building, not a place, a people. That's us. So that the church... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. The manifold wisdom of God. When you think manifold wisdom of God, it's the, um, it's the Greek word polo poikulos, which literally means um, think painting. But think painting that is, when you look at it, it's almost like that 3D magic eye. It's got a variety of layers. It's got different colors. It's splendid, yet you can see all the textures. It just takes your, your thought captive. I mean, it's, it's intriguing. It's captivating. And yet, as you look at it, not only are you awestruck, but you see it clearly. But the thing about it, as you look at the painting, you can tell from the variety of textures and the splendid colors that it must have taken weeks, if not months, to put layer after layer after layer on here. That is what the manifold wisdom of God is. It is too lofty to obtain. It is unfathomable. You cannot comprehend. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our thoughts, is what uh, the psalmist says. So it's that idea. That is what we're making known. The church is making known the manifold wisdom of God, now catch this, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Hold on. Let's read that one more time. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authority in the heavenly places. When you look up the rulers and authorities, it's the same rulers and authorities that you get in Ephesians 1, which is talking about the prince of the power of air, Satan, all of his forces. It's the same exact Greek word when you get to Ephesians 6, that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers of this dark world. It's the same heavenly places, the abode of God, the heavenlies. The idea and the implication of this is that through us, me and you, heirs, partakers, members of the body, all of heaven, and ultimately even the demonic realm is watching for the manifold wisdom of God, the display, the splendidness of God to be revealed. So just real quickly, when you think about that, people say, hey, look, you really shouldn't do that because you might cause a brother to stumble. So here's another question. Hey, you might not should do that because the demonic realm is watching you. Have you ever heard that one? 
Like, nope, never heard that. Here's what you hear. Hey, you and I are the light of the world. We're a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. Hey, we're the salt of the earth. Yeah, that's true. But you know you're not just a seat on a hill so for the world to see unless you're thinking about world as the cosmos. So here's what you need to understand. Here's what it is. Listen. When we think about our relationship with God, we oftentimes limit it. We limit it to that God can see and that others should see. But it goes far beyond that. It goes far beyond that. Even 1 Peter, verse 12, in chapter 1, Peter says that angels long to look at the things that we know about salvation. Think about it. God's, some of his first created beings, before man and, and woman even came to be, the angelic rim had fallen. Many of them wondering how it would be that God would offer a redemptive purpose. How could those angelic beings that fell not have a chance at salvation or redemption? That's why the angels long to look into the things that we know. It's why I'm oftentimes baffled that people at the end of their lives think, hey, you know what, I can't wait to be an angel. The question is, why would you want to be an angel when God created you in the image of God? And beyond that, listen to this. God is using you to make his mystery known, the manifold wisdom of God, all the splendid array, the unsearchable riches of his goodness, the textures, all of that of God, the things that you and I cannot even clearly see now, known to the cosmos. And in particular, in this case, the demonic realm is watching. And you go, well, why are they watching? And here's the deal. Listen, lean in with me. When you and I as the church fail to be God's people, claiming to be reconciled to God yet not extending forgiveness, all of the demonic realm laughs because God's plan is thwarted. When you and I just up and leave, we just get ticked off at the church. I can't believe he didn't visit me. And we just leave. All of hell rejoices because we mock God's plan. When we gossip, when we slander, when we deceive one another, all of hell rejoices at God's plan. When we don't live out the purpose of God and his goodness in our life, when we don't display unity in the church, all of the angelic realm and hell rejoices. When we don't extend the grace, the love, the mercy in which we claim to receive from God, guess what? All of the demonic realm rejoices. When you and I, when we, we don't kill sin that is ultimately leading us towards death, all of the angelic realm demonically rejoices. And I know you've never really thought about that, nor really have I. But the question is, is why? Why do they rejoice? And the best way I can say it is this. When we fail to live under the banner of God's grace, His unity, His salvation, His hope, His plan for us, then what we're doing is we're shooting a flare into the universe. And that flare simply shows um, that God's purposes are failing and that He's foolish. Think about it for just a second. You mean there's an implication for the way I live out my life and it's happening in the heavenlies? Yes, pretty crazy, isn't it? I don't know about you, but are there some things that we could lean into better? Could we extend grace better? Could we seek to be unified? Should we gossip less, slander less? Should we work out some things maybe with some people in our journey group that we're having a hard time with? Maybe we should have some conflict resolution conversations. 
Maybe we should take a, 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 a view of our mind and our tongue. Maybe we should think about what we're watching and about what we're doing with our time. Maybe we should think about those things. Why? Because it's not just affecting us in our relation with God. It's not just affecting us in our relation with others, but it's also affecting us in the relationship with the entire universe. Now, how unsearchable are his ways? Says, you and I can't understand the mind of God, but that is the mind of God. And so I just want you to live in that. And then verse 11 and verse 12 just says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness. So boldness there is the freedom to come into uh, to God's presence to speak with him and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So think about this. God had a treasure hidden for ages revealed through his son Jesus. Paul says, it landed in my lap by the grace of God. Though I'm a sinful man, a chief of sinners, I am being faithful to be a prisoner for Jesus to take this and make that message go forth to all the Gentiles I can possibly reach. And I pray that we will be the church, extend the manifold wisdom of God, all of his unsearchable ways, all of his goodness, so that all of the universe sees that God's plan from the beginning, even though he knew that we would be corrupt, even though he knew we would sin, that he had a plan to redeem us, restore us, and to show how faithful and loving and just and caring just how good our God is. And he goes, and the way we live our lives shows it. I don't know about you, church, but man, I got some work to do in my life. And I pray that you would join me in that that we would steward the time that we have left for the kingdom of God. And we'd say, God, help me to understand, because I, I don't really grasp all this, but what I do know is I still have a lot of things to conform to your ways. I still have a lot of areas I can grow. God, help me to be your person, to be your man. God, help me to live in your spirit. So here's my prayer, um, just as I think about tomorrow. Tomorrow, um, I'm going to venture off into a, a, a very hectic couple of days. Um, hectic for, for a couple of reasons. One is that we're going to celebrate on Wednesday as a staff an opportunity for us to all hang out together, something that we have been needing. So we're going we're gonna to hang out together a lot on Wednesday. Thursday, our staff's going to take off. So what that means is, is this week, I have about a half a dozen appointments that have to take place in two days, and then I have a message of prayer for next weekend. And uh, that's got to be accomplished in a short window. And here's what I need you to know. Here's my prayer. My prayer is, Lord... Help me to be a steward of my time and my resources and my abilities. But God, most of all, help me not to throw something together next week that represents me and my ability to throw something together. God, help me to not do anything under my power, under my strength. God, guide my conversations. Give me wisdom because I'm prone to say something foolish. God, give me grace because if I'm not careful, I can come across harsh. Hey, God, give me your truth. Help me most of all to love people enough to tell them what I see or what a warning sign is. Help me to tell them the truth. And God, more than anything, will you do me a favor? Because I'm really wrestling with this thing that's, that's become divisive in my own life. My tongue is a struggle. And Lord, I need you to help me take every thought captive. I need you to guard my heart, my mind in Christ. And then most of all, help me to put a, a muzzle on this tongue. That's what it looks like right now for me. And so I just pray that you and I would lean into that. God, help me. You know your areas of weakness. Maybe it's your eyes. For me right now, it's a mouth, right? Um, maybe it's your mouth and your eyes. Okay, well, we pray that the Lord would really do a work. We all 
need to be conformed more to the image of Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray that you'd help us to practically live this out in a way that pleases you. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness. It blows me away that you would give us the mysterion, once hidden, once in darkness, now plainly unveiled, unhidden to us. How in the world that sons of men and other generations didn't get it, couldn't see it. Lord, it's now given to us. God, help us to handle it with care. Help us to be the heirs and the members and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus because of the gospel in a way that pleases you and that all of the universe would see and proclaim your excellencies. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you've given us such a responsibility. But I pray more than anything that we'd realize that we cannot do anything with this responsibility in our own flesh, but we need your Spirit's guidance. And so help us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.